this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 178 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And in today's show, neither of us have done any preparation whatsoever, so let's see where this goes. Hey, Jason, how you doing? I've done a little bit of preparation, not as much as usual. <laughs> I got a few things here. <laughs> All right. I would walk in blind. That would be, uh, that'd be like suicide. Yeah. So, That's yeah. That's what I do every show. Yeah. Well, luckily for you, I do some homework, so. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so what's new? Just working on Plugio here. I'm trying to do a big push on Plugio this week. Uh, and I know that I've got some stuff to do for any food, but I thought that if I could just do a solid block of time on Plugio for a week, then I could uh, get the main push out of the way and get back to that any food stuff that I need to do. It's kind of an interesting uh, subject for people who have, you know, um, startups and co-founders and you're, and you're bootstrapping, which is, means that you have other things to do. I mean, if, if you're funded, right, then you can, you're both fully committed or all three yeah. of you committed or however, however many of you there are. But, um, you know, when you're bootstrapping, you kind of have to figure out how to get the time you need to, to get stuff done. And, and that can change day to day and week to week, depending on, you know, what your responsibilities are. And if you don't get those other things done that bring in the income, you're kind of screwed. I mean, that's, that actually has to be your first priority, um, especially if you have, um, you know, uh, a family or mortgage and things like that. So you said, uh, you said um, offline that you were talking with um, Guyon about this, about just how difficult it is to find the time to juggle all the stuff that we have going on. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it is. I mean, obviously, it's, it's very difficult. So um, I kind of... Uh, it, 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 it's weird. Like sometimes I'll do work for two or three days and I'll do quite a bit of work and then there'll be, you know, like three or four days and I, and I do almost nothing. Um, because I just, I, I just can't, I mean, I, I have, you know, stuff to do for Uber and, uh, and that stuff has to get done and, uh, you know, you have no choice. And it's, it's, it's all about sort of managing the, 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 the cost of the context switch, which we've talked a lot about. So it's like, if you change context back and forth, that can be pretty expensive because you know how it is once you get into a zone, you're really getting a lot done. It's and it's sort of it's sort of like it's sort of like loading up a cache. You know, once the cache is loaded, you're fast. But until then, everything's being pulled from disk. It's not just that. I mean, even if I'm right in the zone and working on something, and Georgie comes in and asks me a question, that pulls me out of the zone, and basically, I guess that costs probably half an hour. You know, of just getting back into the zone. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, I guess it depends. It doesn't always cost me that much if I get interrupted. A lot of times that isn't that big a deal. I get interrupted a number of times throughout the day with Sandy or the kids. So that, um, you know, because I turn around, I can talk to her for a couple minutes and I just get back into it. But, you, you know, sometimes it is enough to derail you, right? Then you go and you check your email. It and, depends oh. on how hardcore the problem is, right? So if, if, you're, in, if you're into something that's like mind-bending, <laughs> mm-hmm. then, then someone, you know, interrupting you is, to me anyway, that's, that's tough. Yeah. So, well, there's different, it's almost like different categories of the context switch. So there's the minor interruption, interruptions, right? You get an email that you have to respond to that takes you out of things, or you get a phone call or, or people are pinging you on Skype or, you know, you, your wife or somebody interrupts you, when the kids walk in. There's that kind of like minor 
interruptions. Yeah. Then there are the multi-day interruptions, which is that you have to jump on another project um, or maybe you go out of town for, uh, for something for a few days. So you're just totally pulled away from whatever it is you were doing. And, and then when you come back, you just kind of stare at the code and you're just like, I don't really even know what I should do. Right. Yeah. And it's like you, you, you kind of, it's not only you forget, it's, it's kind of a weird combination of things. I mean, part of it is that you lose motivation um, because you don't have any momentum. There isn't, there isn't that sort of nagging problem that you just, you're trying to fix because you kind of forgot what that problem was. And, um, and then obviously you just can't kind of remember what the priority is, like what, what's really worth doing. I've started going dark. I mean, I just basically turn off my Google notifier, turn off Skype, and just work so that there's no way that anyone can get in contact with me. I think that's probably a good strategy. Yeah. Well, you know, so the thing is that when you're just writing code, that's fine. But for any foof is an example of a, of a startup that's going to be very much a relationship um, business. I mean, it's, we're going to have to stay in contact and be accessible and follow up with experts and oftentimes with clients. And so when you get an email from somebody who says, hey, XYZ happened, I need to reschedule a session of this, you, you can't just wait until the next day because you're dark. I mean, that's a, that's yeah, a really yeah. terrible um, uh, user experience for the... You know, well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the expectation for a lot of startups or for web support is pretty poor. So if you didn't respond for like eight hours or something, it, that would probably be in line with what people expect. But a big differentiator for a startup and for creating p- customers or users who are, who are evangelists, who are really happy with your service, is that you're very responsive to them, that you're, you're, just, you're, on, you're on the ball, you get back to them right away, and they appreciate that. And that, that sort of makes them root for the company more than if you were just like, you get it back to them like two days later and say, oh, yeah, I looked at your problem or you know, whatever. Well, that's what I've traditionally done. But as, as the workloads got more and more, I mean, you know, as we've been talking over the last three years, we've been piling on more and more projects and we've got more and more stuff that we do. Well, now, now there's a point where the workload's so heavy, it's difficult to, uh, you know, to manage that, to, to just be completely reactive all the time. So that's why I think, and you know, who talks about this is Andrew Warner talks about it. And uh, I think Rob Walling does this as well, basically goes dark or just answers I think Rob Rob answers his emails on Wednesdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's fine if you're just technical, but for us, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, not for any food. No, no, no. Yeah, that's not even remotely going to work. So, um, you know, we're gonna ha- you're gonna have to come up with some kind of a balance where you, you know, we're one or, we're one over, we trade off where it's like okay, for this part of the day, I can go dark and you're on call. You know, it's kind of like, it's like doctors, right? You know, you're on call for the weekend when, you know, these surgeons and these, you know, a friend of mine who was a surgeon and it was like, you know, he would be on call every other weekend or at times, man, it would, he was, when he was a fellow, he would be on call for like three weekends in a row. And the other doctors, it's like, they're just, they're not on call. They don't respond. And it's, it's a pain in the butt, but, um, when you're on call, but then when you're off, you're off. But it's going to take a lot of time and effort to actually grow the expert for the experts on any food as well. This, to me, is, seems like a pretty hardcore work piece that's going to be tough for us. Yeah, well, but, yeah, well tough for anybody. I mean, you know, like, you, if, if you wanted to get, like, if you weren't interested in getting the very best experts, it wouldn't be as much work. But then, of course, your product isn't nearly as good. Yeah. Because now you have less qualified experts with um, less complete profiles who don't may or may not understand what 
that is expected of them as an expert and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you put the time in and you really go and look, search out the, you know, the best possible experts for that we can get. And, um, but are you stuff, sure that, it, I mean, I know you've got this strategy, right? So your, your strategy for building experts is for us to hunt down the people to, to choose the technologies, hunt them down and go and reach out to them with an indiv- individualized email for each one of them, right? Are you sure the best strategy wouldn't be to craft a couple of really good posts that are going to get to the front page of Hacker News with basically like a call to arms and asking people to submit uh, profiles and then we can vet them? No, because there's a very limited number of people who are really going to be top-notch experts in any area. And a lot of people think they're a lot better than they are. Kind of reminds me of a friend of mine who said about the soccer. It's like everybody thinks they're a better soccer player than they are. <laughs> and there's only so many people who are not only experts, but are um, publicly acknowledged experts. Like they've written a book on the subject. They, they're invited to speak at conferences on the subject, that kind of thing. Well, what happens um, if you said on Hacker News, you know, only, only apply if you're published? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think, first of all, I'm not even sure that would hit the front page of, of Hacker News or make a much of a difference. And I think then you're going to get in a situation where you get a lot of people applying who might be close, but not quite. And then you still got to like deny them. And of course you're creating like ill will for a right. lot of people. I mean, there'd be a lot of probably very smart, very talented people who, but still probably aren't going to be quite what we want. Um, and what we want is, is, is the, are the people who, uh, you know, you look at them for like 30 seconds. You're like, yeah, that's, this is the person. They are absolutely the expert that needs to be on there. And um, that's, that's what you want. Because if you don't, if you don't have this kind of people and you have a lot of people who may or may not be experts, there's a little bit of uncertainty of that they are as good or, and as knowledgeable as you'd like, um, is you're creating work for the client. Because now the client has to do a lot of their own vetting. It's just like, you know, into the, that happens to the extreme on something like Elant and Odesk, right? I mean, you spend many, many hours filtering through and interviewing and trying to find if any of these people know anything, right? Now, you've talked about this a lot yourself, right? Okay, so can we get to a point where we have, I mean, do you think we can get to a point where we have a formula that we, for us to get these people? I don't know what you mean. You mean automated? No. No, not, not automated, but even just some kind of formula, you know, just even just like a Word document, like a page, follow these steps and we'll be pretty assured of, of snagging an expert in a certain area. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the, I think it's it's pretty obvious, right? You just go and you say find out who wrote the books on various subjects, and you go and you send them. You 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 re, you know find out who you want. You do a little research on them. You send a short email inviting them to be an expert that you'd like to talk to them, and uh, then you get them to set up a profile. It's pretty straightforward. It's not real hard. Okay, you know. And then what also happens on top of that is, um, you know, the experts who are on the system and are happy will recommend that we bring on uh, people they know who are really top-notch, which is like Don has done and, uh, um, and uh, you know, um, like Alex and a couple others have, have said, hey, I think I know someone who'd be really good. Let me talk to them, right? Hey, talking about Don, did we get to pay Don? So we, I, we, yeah. owe, we owe money to some experts. Did we get to pay them? Almost yet? there. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, I wrote, I had to rewrite the, um, the payout system oh. because um, the... Uh, the, well, the documentation is not uh, for webmaster checks. Is not is is I think thin would be sort of uh, too generous. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> really say anything. You just say, "Well, here are the parameters." 
<laughs> and, 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 and the description of the parameter is just sort of like a longer word for the same name. You're like, okay, for a shortened name. So there's no, there's no like getting started. Okay, so this is kind of how the process works and this is what this really means and this is the order of operations. Well, they, they, they have like a, a parameter that's called reference or something like that, right? Which sounds like... You know what the description of it is? Let's say the description and I'll tell you what I think it is and then you tell me what let's it is. Let's see what it is. Okay, it's called reference... And the description is, I see here, where to go? Reference info. Reference info, okay, yeah, right. Reference, it's not just reference, it's reference info. So that's, that's the kind of... Okay, well, I'll tell you what I think that, that, that does, and you can tell me what it does, right? Uh, that, to me, sounds like when I'm posting to their API, I make up some kind of random reference that I can then look back at their API and track. I, I can tie everything together by the, the reference that I create, so... It'll be based on some ID that I generate. What does it really do? Yeah, that's completely wrong. Um, <laughs> reference, that's what gets written on the check or maybe in some kind of field on the ACH that might show up in your bank statement, um, <laughs> the transaction statement. Like this is, so you might say like any foo. Um, uh, okay, um, right. But uh, what you're referring to is what's called the trans ID. Transaction. Trans ID. So, but now trans ID to me sounds like something that is immutable, hard-coded, and they make up, and they tell me what the transaction ID is. No, that would be the payment ID. So trans ID, I can basically make any value and send it to them, and that's how I track stuff. That's right. Yeah, so like... That's crazy. Can you put? Can I put text in there? Um, uh, I believe so. I haven't looked like, closely. We, we use it, we put the session ID, because a session ID is sort of a one-to-one with a payment. Okay. So we just, this, that, you know, that it's a session ID for us, which is just a number, so... Um, how do you? How did you find out that TransID does that? And well, because, I, oh, go on. Sorry, were you speaking to them on the phone or something? Yeah. Well, I've been back and forth with um, their lead developer and as well with the uh, customer support um, person a number of times. I've probably exchanged half a dozen emails and had three or four conversations back and forth. And it's just because the 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 if the um, the documentation just isn't there. They don't have a getting started guide, you know, and so. Um, I'm like, well, okay, so there's a submit payment thing, and then we have this sort of you submit ACH or submit check or whatever, and then they have, and they have, and which generates a payment ID, and then you have a confirmed payment ID. And like, okay, well, can I call it immediately, or do I have to wait a day or two, or what does that even mean? And then there's things like add funds, and we thought add funds was would actually pull money from our Wells Fargo account into our Webmaster Checks account. What does it do? It just notifies them that we want them to do that. That we've that so we have to manually go and log into our bank account and do it and perform an ACH account, uh, transaction to move the money into that. So, checks account. so what is it? To, what is it? It just notifies it? them. It yeah. notifies their automatic system that you know the money should be there and then they can try and uh, do a pull. Okay, so we basically say we we basically call this API function add funds. We say three hundred bucks. Then it just puts on their system. These guys are going to transfer 300 bucks manually at some point. No, no, that it, it, it should be done after. So that this money is has been transferred, and uh, so you can at the next. Oh, so we day. manually transfer the money, and then we give them. It's like us giving them a little note, like a heads up. By the way, we've manually transferred 300, so expect it some your in your account at some point. Right. Is that what it means? That's right. That's right. What in the earth is the point of that? Well, uh, yeah, I asked them about that, and they said, well, it, because it. Um, uh, otherwise, there can be an extra delay because they have to double check, right? This is sort of like a formal notification to them, like it's ready. You can go ahead and process it. Uh, otherwise, y- your um, your 
asking them to look and, and, and double check the account themselves. So it's, it's just sort of like a formal notification, which, which makes sense. I mean, the, 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 the real issue is that they can't pull money from our bank account. They're, they're, that's not allowed for fraudulent reasons and liability reasons. They're not allowed to do that. So we have but, to- there, but there are companies that, 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 are, that do do that, like Paperless uses, you know, Paperless has an ACH pull system. They just don't have an ACH push. So that's what's so strange. But the other thing is, is that um, yeah, I know you told me this, that you're speaking to them and their support people told you that actually every, once we do all of our API calls, for when they push money out, everything is done manually. There's nothing automated. So they have, they have like a button pusher who goes through every one of our API calls and then says yes or no. Yeah, they have someone, they have to have people approve everything. And the reason is for fraud reasons i mean they have it's sort of there is an automated system there they have cron jobs that run and and do a bunch of stuff but at the end of the day before any money goes out they have they have a couple people who just go through and look at every transaction compare it up with you know where the funds are and the the amount of money and you know everything about it and go okay that looks good looks good looks good you know which you know makes sense i mean i mean it probably doesn't cost um them a lot of money to, do, to pay someone to do that, but it really probably prevents some significant fraud from happening. All right. So when will we be able to send money to, um, to the people we owe money to? Well, I wrote, so the only people I, I think, uh, I'd have to look at the database, but I think the money has been transferred for um, the uh, sessions with um, Mike Hartle and, and um, the very first one, which was uh, Don Felker, with Jeff Welpley, yeah. Don Felker. Then the second one with uh, Don hired Mike Hartle, Michael Hartle. I think that one should be probably through. And uh, the one that Jeff hired, Alex uh, McCann, that should, um, McCaw, sorry, uh, Alex McCaw, that should be um, probably through in the next day or so. So I, but I, so I wrote everything, again, I rewrote everything to a two-step process that moves everything from, uh, that, that uh, does everything, it pay, makes all the payments out and then notifies us, you know, of the total that we need to go and manually. It, it sends us an email. It says, okay, you need to go into bank account and deposit this amount and then the next day it checks for all the things that are in that payout initiated state and then um puts them to a pay does it calls a payout confirmed and does that and then sends an ad funds notification to them now i think that's all right but i sent an email to the customer support and the main developer to say you know am i right about all this and is there anything i need to know in case you know this stuff runs on a friday late in the afternoon or a saturday or or what i mean is there like some kind of delay that has to happen or you know what do i need to think about but I think it's all working. But I want I want a final confirmation from them that I've my understanding is correct. So. Okay. Well, given that it's all manual, I think they probably query you if something weird. You know, if you'd submitted something weird. Yeah, I'm not. I mean, I'm not really worried about that so much as I just kind of um, I just didn't want to like uh, make a bunch of API calls and things got kind of in weird some weird state and uh, and we just kind of complicated to undo. I, I wanted to just you know, have as high confidence as possible that things are going to work out right. But yeah. So, but that's just the, that's just the details of startup, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you have payment systems and payout systems and things like that. You know, it's just a lot of little things you got to think of to make things work correctly. All right. Well, do you got anything, anything else, any food related? Um, well, the one thing I'd say is, so we've got five sessions complete now. Yeah. Um, so we did two, uh, this week, one with, um, Joanna um, Weeb and one with Lance Jones. And, you know, actually, um, Ruben Gamez, who we've had on, we interviewed, I don't know, like a year ago or something. He, he was the um, uh, 
Bitsketch.com. Yeah, founder Bitsketch. And he hired um, Joanna. And uh, so I did a follow-up call with both of them. Actually, I did a pre and post call to both of them um, and got a lot of, you know, trying to just kind of get us some sense of what they were thinking. And um, so first of all, you know, Ruben went in and he said that he, he knew he wanted to rethink some of the copy on his site and, but he really, but he wasn't sure where to start and he wasn't really sure what his questions were. Um, he was, he said, he said he came in unprepared and, uh, he said it was really, and then afterwards he said he was really impressed because, um, you know, Joanna, um, just kind of zeroed in on some things right away that they could do. Like apparently, um, he has, he said that he has one blog post that is, that does a, does a lot of conversion for him. And she said, you know, what we should do is use that blog post and that URL and create a, a one page, uh, sales letter. Hmm. And that that that's a much more active uh, conversion process than say a, bl- a blog post that then you go back to the site and try and find out where you can sign up. Um, and and the post was a sort of an educational post on like how to write a great proposal for design, how, how telling designers how to do good proposals. So what she's saying to rework that page to a sales letter or to 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 link a sales no, letter? No, to no, it. no. You know, so that so that whatever that URL was, yeah. Will the URL stay the same? Stay the same, but rather than being a blog post, they'll take that blog post, probably recraft it, probably do, do some editing, and make it a sales letter, a, a, a long form sales letter. Which huh. I think Joanna said that she's worked one of her. For for people who don't know, we interviewed Joanna a while back. She wrote uh, Copy Hackers and is really amazing copywriter. And she's actually working on another book called based on long form sales letters. Yeah, so sales letters um, have a bad rap in the sense that you know they were the they're the kind of web 1.0 internet marketers. It's almost like the first version of sales letters are like a used car salesman trying to slap you around the face and make you buy something. But um, the modern sales letters seem to be much better, much you know, if they were crafted well. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that I mean I don't know a whole lot about them, but the impression I get is that. It, it, it's, it's sort of rather than you read like a little page, it's like an about, and then it links to some other page about pricing. And then maybe it, li- maybe it links to some other page with case studies. It just kind of goes sequentially. It says, okay, yeah. here's what this is. This is why it worked. Here's some social proof. If you're interested, sign up now. Oh, here's another, here's another um, case, uh, a u- use case scenario. Um, here's why we're going to save you money. You know, sign up, yeah, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So it's a more condensed, efficient uh, way, I guess, of, of, of pitching. You know, and uh, I don't, you know. Yeah, but but the horrible sales letters are, are seriously horrible. Yeah, we've seen <laughs> those. It's like anything, you know, you can do a good version or a bad version. Well, I think it's less about, I mean, I guess you can write bad sales letters, but I think really it's about what you're selling. You know, yeah. selling something that's that's crap, that's BS, you're just trying to scam someone, then it's crap. Yeah. If you have a really valuable service, you're trying to remove people's, fears and uncertainty and say, listen, this is going to work. This yeah. is going to, this is going to solve your problem. It's a, you know, you should, you know, you should use it. It'll, it'll, it'll make you happy. <laughs> it'll, it'll do what you want it to do. Then there's, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. I think it's, I think really it's just the fact that scan, you know, because they work, yeah. you know, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, things that are sold on the internet use them, and of course, a lot of things—the vast majority of things on the internet that are sold—are probably of marginal value, if not kind of scammy. Okay, well, that was that was his perspective. So, Ruben got some value out of it. What, what did she? What did uh, Joanna think? Yeah, yeah. So, so Ruben said it was great. He was really far. It really exceeded his expectations. He was really happy with it. He's like, it was two hundred dollars for an hour, and he's like, yeah, it was just 
great. Um, Joanna um, was like, she said going in, she was kind of nervous because he was a little uncertain of whether she would be able to deliver the value in an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, because as a copy, as a copywriting expert, she has longer engagements. She spends a lot of time with clients. She does a lot of the writing herself, you know, so if you're, if you're doing a one hour session, it's like, you're on the spot. Like you yeah, know, yeah. need to have insights and good advice and, 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 and be able to make things happen in, in an hour. And especially if people are paying a premium rate, um, I could, I could, and you're not used to it. You could get the, you could start to doubt whether you're going to be able to deliver and, and you're going to, you know, be disappointing. Well, it turned out that you know, she, she felt that way, but afterwards it turned out that she delivered a lot of value and she could tell that it went really well and that Ruben was happy. So she was really, she really, uh, enjoyed the, the experience hmm. and, and, she, awesome. and yeah. And it was interesting. I, I went over with her and, um, I, I've, I've gone over with a few experts this issue, which is, so what essentially the, the anatomy of a session, how do they work? And Don Felker summed it up, uh, after his second session where he was once an expert and, and, and where he's a, after being an expert and being a client. And here's his description. He just wrote this to me like in a, in a Google chat thing and I've pasted it because it was so insightful. He goes, the first 10 to 15 minutes is always about gaining context around the issue. Then we do a deep dive into the code or architecture. Then it's time for grokking and learning from the expert. Hmm. And everyone I've talked to, they said, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Um, and, uh, and that's why I think an hour is pretty much where we may ultimately want to, if we don't set that to be the minimum, we want to strong, we want to strongly advise the experts to make that the minimum. Because I think, yeah. I think whether you spend a half hour, an hour, the, the price difference, yes, twice as much, but really in the big scheme of things, this isn't a lot of money, but it can dramatically increase the probability that the expert can deliver the value that the client needs. Yeah. And what we ultimately want is clients to be, I mean, if you spend $100 and you're marginally happy or you spent $200 and you're ecstatic, you know, <laughs> or the probability of success went from a 40% to a 90%. Yeah. Be like, for us, it's, 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 probably, it's probably a better um, strategy to say, you know, I'd rather get 85% of the sessions, you know, lose 15% because those people really just wanted a half hour and they decided not to do it. But we have a dramatically high probability that they were successful because if things are successful, then the client's going to come back and do it again. They're going to tweet about it. They're going to tell their friends, like, yeah, this was really a cool service. You, you definitely need to try it out, right? Well, it's pretty simple. We just get rid of the half-hour option and just make it so that, you know, across the board, um, an hour is the minimum. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that is. I mean, we don't have to, but, I'm, I, you know, we can talk about it some more. But I, I think that's probably going to be the case. When we have five data points, um, you know, with five sessions – and um, I'm just trying to get an understanding of how they went. And they all seem to follow this pattern, at least for mm. the five. I mean, I talked to um, uh, uh, Lance and uh, Michael Kakuni, uh, uh, I think is, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. They, um, they both told me this, that went the same way. They both kind of came in and Lance was a little concerned <laughs> that he could deliver the value. Uh, Mike, Michael was, had some ideas about, because um, he, he hired Lance to do conversion Great observation, yeah. and um, and Lance is an expert. We had him on a while back about you know talking about A/B testing and conversion, funnel conversion stuff, and all of that. And um, and so Michael came in and and wanted to have a sort of a different perspective on how we might want to think about you know his how how a site was designed and how to how to increase conversion. And and he said, yeah, same way. It was just the same kind of process. And he also was extremely happy. He was just you know really. Really, um, 
pleasantly surprised at how well it worked out and said he totally is going to come back and do another session with Lance and, you know, everything. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, he said that, and this is another thing that leads, this leads to another important, uh, I think, realization or, or, or emphasis, which is what makes a great expert. So Michael was really impressed with how conscientious Lance was about delivering actionable value. So it wasn't like Lance is just phoning it in. It's like, okay, so ask me anything. What do you want? He's Lance got in this. Okay, so what? You know, let's let's talk about your site. What are you trying to do? What's what can we do? And then giving good advice and good, you know, suggestion about what should what 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 could be done and how it might work or or whatever. And and so Lance, I mean, so so Michael felt like you know, even though he wasn't necessarily sure what the questions he should be or that he should be asking and everything, that Lance really focused the conversation um, and, and and got him you know, information that he wanted and, and a lot of helpful things. So I think when you talk about an expert, like what makes a great expert, I think you got this four, four or five things, I think. One is, of course, you want somebody who really, really knows their stuff cold, that they know it off the top of their head. They don't have to be Googling and doing a lot of research that they, they can pretty much, you know, uh, talk about it off the cuff. Which is the reason why they have to be very specialist in a specific area. Because you and I, we're generalists and we, we know how to find the information. But yeah. these guys had to have it in their head. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I'm a journalist. You're a journalist. I mean, yeah, I know a, a lot about some technologies, but, but that still doesn't make me an expert. And when you when you write a book on something, when you speak, you you kind of fill out those areas that you hadn't necessarily needed to to work on professionally. Yeah. But you know that is is part of the field. So you go and you write a chapter on it. You research. You test. That's one reason book writing. Um, is a good indicator that these people could be an expert. And now, because not only it fills out that knowledge, but it also teaches you how to communicate it and explain it and all that. So yeah, the second thing, of course, is having done some sort of public teaching of the subject because it not only does it qualify you as an expert, it's sort of some sort of credentialed, some sort of informal credentialed way, but you just get used to explaining it. So the third is, of course, just being articulate and being a, sort of a good teacher, someone who, can, who speaks well and can communicate ideas well. But um, but the fourth one, which might be the fourth and fifth, depending on how you want to break them up, is you want experts who are very conscientious about doing a good job and very helpful people. They 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 would feel bad if the session didn't go that great. They would feel bad if they were unable to deliver value. That they're really trying to um, make make the customer happy and the client happy and solve the problem. And that's one thing I've I think has been across the board for five sessions. All expert all the experts were very concerned about that and. What as a result, what happens is is that the clients can um, they feel that they understand, and so that makes them feel. It first of all increases the probability that the session is going to go well because the person actually the expert is actually caring about driving the driving the session in the right direction. But then the client gets the feeling like, hey, this person is really trying to help me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. which it gives you a really good feeling. You're like, not if 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 somebody helped you, but they were sort of nonchalant about it or indifferent. You'd be like, yeah, you, you, you would be like, yeah, they helped me, but you just wouldn't have the same kind of feelings if they were really working for you, working mm-hmm. out. So I think those are, the, those are the sort of the attributes we really need to look for um, and if we want to make any food a success because when they have those attributes, the sessions are going to go well, the, the clients are going to feel good, and that good feeling and that success is going to translate to them coming back and, and, and them becoming evangelists and telling other people. Well, I hate to say this, this is probably a downer, but I feel a massive amount of doubt about 
getting hundreds of those kinds of people. Um, I, I mean, you uh, seem to be very kind of gifted at, at talking people into, uh, you know, becoming an expert and, and doing that. But I don't know, I just haven't, I just so far, I haven't been having as much luck and I feel a little, um, I don't know, put off or unenthusiastic. Just it's, I'm finding it really tough and I'm getting depressed that I can't, I haven't managed to turn anyone around. Um, so that's something I, I, I think, I think for now for just let me do it. I'll, <laughs> I will deal with the recruiting because <laughs> I can do it because I don't want to deal with, uh, your, uh, disappointment or frustration, right. you know, cause that's a downer. So I'll that's do a it. downer for you. It's a downer, right? If I talk to you and you're like, oh, I can get this and this, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, it's not that hard. I, I'm like, I'm batting a thousand here. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I mean, and it might be just, maybe I'm just lucky. <laughs> maybe it's because I have some warm leads or something, or maybe because I, I may, I, I may be good at it or something. But for me, well, but they're, they're all, they're all people who, I mean, so far it's, it, this was all easy pickings, the people that we got so far, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're, they're all people who we knew through the show who we already had a relationship with in one way or another. So you haven't tried the same, what, what I've tried, which is basically cold calling um, and just reaching out to random strangers. And I, I would love to see you do that and um, yeah. make it stick. I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I mean, we'll probably hit that hard. I'll start hitting that hard the next week or two. Um, really start pushing on getting some more experts on. But uh, I, you know, I, you know, I'll, I'll definitely go, I'm definitely going to focus on, on hitting people who you have a warm intro. Yeah. That, makes, that tends to make a, a, a difference, especially when you're not as a pro, uh, not that proven of a site. I mean, the site isn't polished yet. It doesn't have, they can't go to it and go they, and say, oh, this is a completely finished working machine. I totally get everything about it. I've heard about it before, so I'm going to invest time in it. So therefore, it requires a certain amount of, of selling the dream. Right. You have to explain them. Not don't look at necessarily what any food looks like right now at this point in time. Let me explain to you where we're going and what this thing is going to be over the next, you know, three to six months. And um, if I can convince you that that's where we're going, I can convince you that we're going to get it there. Then this is worth you. This is worth, you know, spending a few minutes setting up a profile, you know, and uh, I think. um, But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'll say I have some strategies, but as I've said before, and I won't go that into it again but this is very similar to when i recruited you know players for uh, my you know soccer team which is that you just you know you leverage people you know you leverage the you leverage your intros you leverage connections you leverage the people you have to show off the talent level and uh, you just go from there i think another good thing would be if i could at least participate in a couple of those conversations because that would get a little bit of the positive vibe into me and make it easier for me um, to sell it right so i mean if you're just if you're just like doing you know having all those conversations on your own and i'm not part of them and you know you're making things happen and i'm just not able to do that same thing doesn't it make sense for for me to participate in that um you mean just kind of like we're both on the line at the same time yeah i'll just i mean you know i, I don't mind i don't mind to, you know taking a back seat role and listening but at least just to um get the get the pitch down pat and get the vibe sure yeah, I think I I don't think that'll be too big a problem. I mean, it might be a little weird if someone says, "Hey, we're both going to talk to you at the same time," <laughs> you know? They're like, "Oh, eh, like they're getting ambushed or something." Um, but I don't maybe, know. Maybe, maybe not on the first call. Or, I mean, I don't know, second call. But it's, it's just sometimes when it when it seems like it's possible or appropriate. Yeah, because the way I try and do it is is I'll send them an email, and uh, or, or usually a lot of times it's been kind of like a, a, a referral. 
you know, like Don will say, Hey, here's my buddy. Um, I think he's, he's great. He wrote this book. He, he's, he's, this is why he's awesome. You should talk to him. And, and, and I'll, and I'll respond and say, yep, I'd love to talk to you. If, if you have 10 minutes, just, you know, ping me on Skype and let's just have a quick talk and I'll explain some stuff to you. So I kind of make it off the cuff. I make it real off the cuff, real like, like I don't want to take a whole bunch of their time, but let's just talk for a few minutes and uh, try and make I it I would like be that. fine with those kind of calls. The, the issue, you see, I don't think, I, I mean, you know, we're, we're both pretty personable people and we can explain a vision, et cetera, et cetera. I'm fine with those kind of calls, right? Like some kind of warm intro call, but it's, it's this cold calling stuff. It's like, how do you, how do you convert that into something that's warm and then hot and then people going for it, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll try a little more of that and um, see what my uh, success rate is and what, what seems to work. And I think, I, I, I mean, I think what my, th- uh, okay, go because on. we, because we have one, one person, right. Who wants to set up, well, who wanted to set up a session with someone who knew DNS and email inside out. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, did you try and contact anyone and try and get any experts for that? No, because I thought you were following that up. But so I did follow that up, and I contacted three people, but I wasn't able to get anything out of that. Nobody emailed you back, or what happened in each case? Well, one of the one of them did get back to me, but he just didn't. He just his expertise wasn't quite right. Okay. The other the other two uh, didn't didn't pursue it any further. So, there's one I saw you emailed Elastic email, and I saw you emailed multiple yeah, people. Yeah, ex- exactly. Elast- yeah, Elastic yeah. email. I contacted them. Now, obviously, the issue with Elastic email is. I mean, I, I had spoken to this guy before on, on the phone and he really knew his stuff, but he's, I guess, a products-based company and he d- d- doesn't see any value, I guess, because he didn't, just didn't reply to me. Um, yeah, well, I saw the, your first mistake was emailing the company and emailing more, more than one person. So here's one thing I've discovered in, in, uh, in well, you know, running the soccer team. Like, I, I always reference the soccer team, but I, I can't tell you how many lessons in life I've yeah, learned yeah. about this. Yeah, makes but sense, yeah. When you email five people, and you say, hey, could somebody get back to me? None of them are going to get back to you because they're always waiting for somebody else. Right. If you email one person um, and say, you know, hey, George, can you please give me a call? I need to talk to you. There's a really good chance that you're going to get some kind of response out of them, and especially if it's, you know, the right kind of email. And, so the, and it's like every – it's like when you multiply – it's actually the number of people that you have – um, that you email about and asking, you're kind of asking them all the same question. You can say the probability of them responding is like one divided by that number. And yeah. five people, you have about a 20% chance, you know, or something. I mean, it's, it's like, so you, you really want to hit one person at a time. You want to make it very personal and specific. But when anytime someone sends any kind of email that even smacks of like form letter, I'm, I'm hitting five people, meaning multiple people. Well, first, if, 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 there's, if, if someone emails three people, you, a lot of times people, if you're busy, you'll just assume someone else will respond, but they're all thinking the same thing, right? And um, so they got that problem. And then the other problem is if they get any kind of sense that it's not a personal email to them, then they really feel like, they really kind of makes them feel like they don't have to respond to it. So those are just subtle things, yeah. All yeah. right, so what about the, the email that we got? Well, first of all, Stuart Robinson, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's, who is a texting listener who's, hel- who's helped us out before. And, you know, um, have been chasing him up to get that profile written. And that's proving, once again, to be quite hard to actually get it, get him to do it. Yeah, I, I'm on the case. Okay. Right. And then, care. yeah, okay, fair enough. All right. Take care of it. I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. See, I don't, it's hard for me to, you know, critique or advise on what you're doing or not doing because I don't always 
you know, I'm not privy to every piece of communication and I don't know. I mean, I, and I, just because certain things have worked for me, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I've gotten lucky. Maybe all the things I'm saying are wrong, you know, or the sample space is too small and uh, we'll see. So I don't want to like the, give these you- are the, Yeah. So, so these are the reasons why I'm thinking, I, I'm thinking along the lines of, okay, get some kind of public call to arms and, and try and grapple the problem that from that direction versus it's- go out and handpick people. Cause I, to me, it just it just seems like people who are authors, who are writers, I could imagine that we'd be lucky to get one in ten, it, you know, even if we tried really hard. And that sounds like an awful lot of work. That's just what I'm saying. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, see, I think what you're suggesting is is sort of like the lazy approach, and I think you're end up with a very mediocre product. Right. I think it's it's I think it's like it's it's and it's and it's it's what differentiates like. A, a, a real company from sort of, sort of like web company where you have a bunch of tech guys who don't really want to talk to anybody and want to hide behind their computers and just not really get out there and, 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 and roll, you know, roll their sleeves up and, and, and have lots of deep conversations with you know, their clients and people who are using it. And I think one thing that differentiates, not in all cases, but in certain kinds of businesses, companies that succeed are the, are the founders or people who say, look, this is hard work. You know, it is hard work creating a company. It's not just about like, you know, writing some clever code and making a, putting a pretty face on it. It's about building a business, which is about building relationships, which is takes time and it's hard. And yeah, it doesn't scale, but you don't have to make it scale. We have to do this hard part early on until we build up the credibility, we build up the mind share um, that it starts to work for us. It's kind of like, you know, people say, oh, you know, you, know, you want to put money in the bank because you earn interest on it. Well, when you have 10 bucks in the bank, you're like, this is going to take forever, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you roll up your sleeves and you don't worry about earning interest. You just keep shoving in a couple hundred dollars in the bank every month. And then you look back like five years later, and it's like, okay, now I actually have some money and the interest is start work, work, starting to work for me. Well, we're at the point where we don't have, we're not even close to having enough uh, money in the bank to earn any interest on it. There's Nothing is going to work for us. You, we have to earn every dollar in that account. And, that, and, and, and the way we earn every dollar is going to be by personally reaching out to people, trying to make sure that they understand what we're trying to do and how we think it can help them, we, how we think it's going to benefit them and, and try and uh, remove any, if, if, it is a good, if we really think it's a good fit, how we can remove their objections or their concerns. Because a lot of times they're just going to, they just don't quite get it. And that's happened many times um, we've already talked to a number of the experts and they didn't quite get it at first. And once they got it, they're like, oh, that makes sense. And it's like, I had lunch yesterday with Michael Hartle, who's, um, who's one of our experts and he's the author of our Ruby on Rails tutorial. And uh, one of the things, we were talking briefly about AnyFoo and I was giving an update on everything. And he said, um, he's like, yeah, you know, he's like, yeah, he's like, I always believed in the concept. He's like, but I didn't quite realize how well you guys had solved the problem in the sense that you just removed all the friction. You know, like it just... You get it, but you don't really get it until you go through it sometimes. And, you know, and, and for us, it might be, they don't, they kind of get the concept. Yeah, it's not that hard, but until you explain how it's really not going to be much work for them and how, you know, you can make a lot of money doing it and it's, it's fun and it can serve as a marketing effort and a, and a, you know, kind of a general um, brand building thing as well. I mean, it, it can, it can, it can, it can have a lot of positives and it's just really no headache for you, uh, the, for the expert. So we need some kind of page or something or some kind of video or audio just explaining that to so just to help us supporting information even for when we're cold calling people. Yeah, I mean, so one the couple of things that I have on deck that I want to write one is a how it works section which is just a very simple step-by-step 
process. Right. Um, another one is why, why you want to be an expert. Yeah, that's the one I, I really want. I really just really, really want that supporting documentation for, for, you know, for two reasons. Like firstly, um, to act as a, a really good list to use during those conversations. And secondly, to just send people to, you know, so you can, you can create a quick email, get them to that page and then bam, you know, they're yeah. finding out. Yeah. And, and that, that's all helpful true. And I think it's true, but I guess for me, I feel like if I can get you on the, if I can get you on the call, it's done. I'm not going to lose. I just, I, I feel like it's good. I've got, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm going to convince you because it makes sense. <laughs> you know, it's, it's over. You're, you're, you know, I am going to convince you that you're going to want to do this because you can set your rate to what you want. You can do it when you want. There's no headache. The money's in your bank account. It's fun. I mean, there's no, there's no reason not to do it, you know? So I'm not even worried about like sending, you know, well, Hey, here's an email, read this. Sometimes I will do that. I'll send them a link to a profile, but I'm like, if I can just get a 10 minute call, I'm going to convince them that it's going to, it's, they're going to want to do it and they're going to be excited to do it. Well, that makes me feel like a loser after having a 10 minute call with, <laughs> to the sugar guy. <laughs> he just didn't go anywhere. No, he was really enthusiastic about it, but then just getting him to fill out the profile and move forward from that point eh, nothing happens. So. <laughs> well, here's, here's what I think. I mean, you also don't want to harass people. So it's like, you, you exactly. let it sit for a week. So it's like, okay, you, you do a follow up and then you let it sit for a couple of weeks and you come back to him and say, Hey, let's get that profile up. How about we do this? We just had a bunch of people made some money, you know, this so-and-so made 300 bucks and now I got to 50 bucks. Now I had fun, you know, come on, let's get you going, you know? And, uh, you know, you don't follow up, but yeah, you don't want to harass people either. I mean, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I wouldn't advise you to like, just, you know, be on, be on him because I'm sure you know, people have other stuff going on. They may be enthusiastic, but they're like, just like you, we've talked about, you know, we have a lot of obligations. Well, these people we have who are talking to about being experts, they have other stuff going on. So they can be like, you know, I'm interested in doing it, but I got this project, this project, and I'm going to town for three days. And, you know, they just, it's, it's things that are completely outside of, you know, anything to do with Anyfu, but they just don't have the time to do it at the moment. Anyway, I'm, we've, we've done a lot of Anyfu, so we can move on, but I just wanted to have that section there just to talk about a little bit about the doubts because i think everyone goes through doubts when they're building a startup and it's i think it's good to for us to hash out these doubts live on air so that people can see if we get through this how we got through this and hopefully next week we will and you know next week and the, and the following week we'll start to get through this i'll start to get through this and uh, people will see how that happens so yeah well so yeah I, I think it's really good too and, and, and because you know I've, since I had the conversations with, with all the clients and experts, I see their enthusiasm. It's mm -hmm. infectious. I see how shocked they are at how much value they got out of it on both sides. So I'm convinced, you know, I was already convinced just that I, I knew it was going to work. And then when I see it's just confirmation, 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 confirmation to the point that it's just like, okay, this is kind of a stupid conversation other than that it's just fun to have because it case makes me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not really learning anything. I'm just, you know, it's just, uh, it just makes me feel good because it's just continual confirmation. So I'm convinced. I also know that it's, that's, that's, it's going to be a, a, a tough road to hoe as are all real startups. They are, it's always a tough road to hoe and you just have to be willing to roll your sleeves up and do the damn work and you got to muscle through it. And I think, you know, for it's any foo or for any other thing, projects, I mean, you got to muscle through it. And, you know, we all read these articles of some guy, whoever wrote this little app and they put it up there and they made it and they tried a few tweaks and then all of a sudden they hit something and made a lot of money and they get a sense that that's more common. And I, I don't, and you know, I, that's, that's not, not the common. real world. 
you know, what's common is it's a hard damn work. And the fact that most people um, will quit before they get, once they hit some hard work and they realize it's not, it's not smooth sailing, they just quit and go home. And um, mm-hmm. it's in, in uh, and it's kind of like what we call in, uh, in uh, you know, a couple different sports I play with is that you're a self-check. There's a self-check. You're going to quit. You know, like you don't, have to, you don't have to guard. You don't have to guard that guy. He's 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 gonna check himself out anyway. Don't worry about. It. He's gonna quit. There was something on Hacker News today talking about you know the whole, I guess, entrepreneur thing, right? There was something on Hacker News today. Um, did everybody see what just happened? The pendulum swung. So who is it? Uh, Jason Friedman, uh, entrepreneur, co-founder at Forty Two Floors, is talking about uh, how he's he's done Y Combinator, I think, twice, and this time round. He's, he was, he said back in 2009, you know, getting, getting investment was tough and it, it, it was difficult. Like people weren't hungry, but this time around he's in there and it's just like unbelievable. People are just offering, you know, people are like hounding him to give him money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of interesting juxtaposing against where we are. But I guess that's just if you're a YC, if you get into YC Combinator, you know, sorry, YC, if you get into Y Combinator, you're made basically. Yeah, you know, um, it, there's a couple things about that. Funny, I had this, I had this conversation similar to this with uh, Michael Hardo yesterday. We um, got it about like funding versus bootstrapped. Like, you know, I would say that if you're in a position to do something like that, which is like, you know, you're probably not in, you probably need to be like a team of two or three and you need to have some things going your way. And like, you can prove that you're really good and that you guys have, you know, a good team and all this kind of stuff. And it's worth a shot. But, and, but more, even more importantly is that you can't have a high cost structure, personal cost structure. So you can live cheaply. Um, and usually that means people who are, are young and, unmarried or at least don't have kids and um, can kind of uh, can do that kind of thing. And I would say that if you are like that, then these kind of programs like Techstars and Y Combinator are fantastic. I mean, it, it just gives you um, amazing opportunity to do stuff. Um, and and it's, it's the whole thing is other people's money, right? It's not even your money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why not? Plus you're guaranteed what these, you know, um, all this, you're, you're guaranteed funding out of like Yuri Milner and um, and uh, uh, Ron Conway and stuff. I and mean, they have all, and I guess uh, Andreessen Horowitz now, they have these just guaranteed like funding if you even just after you come out of it, you know, if you don't get any kind but of But they're saying, he's saying that that some of the, you know, these, uh, this seed round via Y Combinator, the, the investors are valuing the companies at like 10 million to 15 million. Mm-hmm. These unproven, completely non existent companies. So, that sounds a lot like we're moving into a bubble. Yeah, well, the fact that people are very concerned about the bubble kind of disqualifies the bubble because back when, you know, when, when people don't, when the, when, the, when the majority of people are completely unaware that something might be a bubble, it's kind of when you're in the bubble. Like when everyone thought that housing prices are always going to go up, right? There's only a limited number of land or, you know, space, so they can only go up and everyone starts believing that. And, and but once you have, but there's, there's, and, and, and I think I read this little, um, these notes on a, on a lecture that Peter Thiel, um, had given in his class. I think he's teaching an entrepreneurship at Stanford because there was such a severe reaction to that bubble and to the more recent housing bubble, people were aware of bubbles. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's that kind of a thing really, but yeah. Okay. Valuations can go higher in the short term for some of these unproven startups, a very select number, and it's a very limited number of individuals who are investing. It's not the economy at large, 
it's not, it has nothing, there's no resemblance to that. Um, you know, it's really just a limited number of angel investors and, um, you know, and venture fund, uh, venture funds and, uh, in the, in Silicon Valley area and maybe New York. So I don't know, but, um, the one thing about like bootstrapping is like, you know, and, and I know we said this before, but I'll, there are many times, but you know, the reason that we're doing it is because of the, uh, the limitations of our, of our lives. You know, I, you know, Sandy, Sandy, my wife, she, you know, she's a full-time mom. And so all the income is on me and uh, which means I got to make a pretty good living because uh, we have three kids and a, and a mortgage and we live in Southern California. Right. So going and getting, uh, you know, a job going and going and getting funding and saying, well, you have to pay me, pay me well into the six figures just so that I can, you know, tread water. <laughs> that's gonna not like, going to happen. What? You know, I mean, it's just, that's not what they're used to doing. I mean, I don't really know what they're expecting to, um, you know, see, you know, co-founders or whatever to, to pay themselves, but I don't think they're going to be real comfortable with people paying themselves 120, 130, $150,000, you know, I mean, maybe 80 or something, but you know, I can't live on that. I can't, you know, I can't even, I can't support, you know, I could, we couldn't pay the mortgage and car payment and preschool and all the other things. Right. So it's not even an option for me. Well, I mean, it probably sounds silly to say, but it's got to, it's got to the, I, I've got an emotional reason now that I just don't want to get funding. Like I want to prove that I can do it, you know, in a bootstrapped way. So yeah, you, like, for you, it's more of a, it's more of some kind of a, um, uh, it's, it's a matter of principle. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's turned into a matter of a principle now over the years. Like once I've done it, you know, once I've done it and and done, got some bootstrapping success, then I'll be happy to go back and re re um, evaluate funding. But at least to get started, I want to do it through the bootstrap way. Right. So you, you've stuck your flag in the ground. Pretty much. I'm I'm agnostic. I'm like saying, you know, Hey, just do, you know, I would think it would be kind of, if you had the if you had the situation where you could just move to Silicon Valley with a couple of your friends and and do a start and get funding and go to Y Combinator rather than working a full time job and trying to do some side, I think you're like really making your life harder than you need to, you know. Well, especially if you're younger, because then you could think of it like this: you could say, okay, this is my first go, you know, this is my first business. You so you could think of yourself as a like a long term entrepreneur. So then that would make sense, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's just there's just not, there's not much to lose, right? It's an adventure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, you know, I, I just know that or if you go to tech stars or whatever and you go to, you know, um, you know, Boulder, Colorado or something, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, you go and you, and you, and you immerse yourself and it's like going to grad school or something, except you're building a company. I mean, there's just no, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, you're building, you'll build a slightly different kind of company probably. And it's, uh, you can totally immerse yourself uh, in it and it probably increases your chances of success. I mean, I think bootstrapping is a lower chance of success because like we've said, we have to overcome all these, this obstacle of very limited time, you know? Well, that's, my, that's, my that's, that's an interesting statement saying that bootstrapping is a lower chance of success. I think it's sort of the other way around. I think bootstrapping is a higher chance of profitability, but a lower chance of like massive success. Well, you know, like Rob Walling has made this point many times. Is like if you're bootstrapping, you really want to go after some kind of micro company, not yeah. shooting for something that you would look at and, and think it was a funded company. Um, I mean, you do some, you do see some things that are successful like that, like Ruben, um, you know, I mean, he's done very well and bid sketch. If you looked at it and you didn't know any better, you might think it was a, a YC company, 
you know, yeah. but he totally bootstrapped it himself. And there are plenty of examples of that. Um, and, and, and yeah, and you're right. Bootstrap companies have to focus on revenue, not on like building eyeballs and like, hey, we'll build a lot of eyeballs, we'll raise money, and we'll figure out a business model later. That's not, mm-hmm. that doesn't work. You know, I mean, I guess you could, you know, build something, build a lot of eyeballs while you're bootstrapping it. It's not profitable, but then, then you've got enough traction from users that you can then go raise money, quit your job, and do that. So you could do that. That would work. Amy Hoy's just put out a great new post, um, vaccinate yourself against crappy customer feedback. Mm. Just, just really nice. Um, just going through, what did she get it from? It was, uh, she says, right now I'm crushing on the internet because of Least Helpful. It's Least Helpful is a blog which does nothing more complicated than put together screenshots of terrible reviews. Now, I like this because she's pull, pulled off some of the reviews, which are the, the funniest and just basically, it's, it just, you just sometimes have to not listen to your customers because they just say really stupid stuff, right? So um, the first the first one that she shows is uh, someone someone's reviewing a restaurant on Yelp, and they're saying they're saying I ordered the boiled crab cakes. Basically, this is the gist of what they're saying. I ordered the boiled crab cakes. Oh, by the way, they gave they gave this restaurant a one star to say I ordered the boiled crab cakes, and they were really really nice. So after I got home, I called up to speak to the supervisor because I just wanted to say how nice these crab cakes were. And the supervisor just seemed a bit offhand and a bit too busy. And they said, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm not sure you can't really tell me, but uh, I'll, I'll find the manager for you. So they got hold of the manager, but the manager said, well, I'll, this, that's really nice, but you know, I've, I've kind of got to go because they've got something happening here. And basically they were so insulted that they weren't, you know, so happy that this person called up and said how fantastic the crab cakes were. They said, this is a disgusting restaurant. I'm never going there again. They're just going to get a one-star review from me. Right. You know, yeah. and it's just, just all sorts of things like that. So I'd, I'd recommend checking out that blog post, Vaccinate Yourself Against Crappy Customer Feedback by Amy Hoy. Yeah, Amy Hoy is very entertaining. Her posts are very funny. I mean, she's kind of controversial. She always takes a controversial tone, which yeah. probably makes them more entertaining. Um, yeah, I liked her. I was reading. I was actually on her site reading some stuff uh, the other day for some reason, and uh, yeah, I had the same. I, I had the same reaction. It's just like she's generally entertaining. But um, oh, oh, this is this is great. This is someone on Yelp, um, um, basically reviewing the Grand Canyon. <laughs> it's like some you know kind of I don't know teenager or something. Yeah, it's just a hole in the ground. I guess it's worth seeing. <laughs> Three stars. <laughs> <laughs> three stars Grand Canyon yeah. three stars three stars <laughs> I think Zion in Utah is more intriguing well and, and that's exactly yeah well that's exactly why we're not doing reviews of experts I don't know if we've talked about this on the show but um, the reason we're not doing reviews of experts is because you may get nine really good reviews right and then the tenth person comes along and they just flame you and it's just ridiculous Right. Um, and then and then the expert comes to us and says, hey, guys, you know, this thing is just a really nasty comment. I just don't want it on my profile. I can't have a public profile with this kind of thing on it. And we're in this awkward position where we're like, well, we may agree with you, but we can't really just take down bad posts because, you know, is our policy then if an expert complains and doesn't like a bad comment or thinks it's unfair that we take it down. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we do, that would be kind of a rigged system. And, um, so my feeling is that, and, and I, and, but what, what the expert will say is if we don't take it down is, you know, I, and they might say something like, well, you know, Hey guys, I really 
I've, I enjoy any food. I've made some good money on it. It's been great and all, but I can't, I can't have this stuff on. So I'm just, I'm just going to pull my profile down. I'm gonna, it, makes, you know, it makes sense, yeah. Which they would do because a lot of these experts are successful people who, who have you know, a lot of stuff going on and they have a lot of opportunity and they're just not going to have some kind of nastiness like that on their profile. And that will happen. And so and, and we're in a situation where we're like, crap, now we're going to lose some of our experts because of this policy. So my feeling is let's just – we skip the whole thing and we'll have private feedback. So if, if, if you have a – if a client is at all unhappy with, uh, or they have some comments, they could send the comments back to us, just unhappy or not. Say, hey, you know, this is this is how I felt about it. And, you know, I mean, in the early stages, I'm going to talk to them anyway, but to a certain point, we get bigger where it's like you can't talk to them and just say, hey, just put some feedback. And, and, if, and if they're really unhappy about it, then we'll sort of sort that out. And, you know, we'll tell the, the expert says, hey, you know, this this person felt that you were like unclear or distracted or you weren't really you know, listening to them and, you know, I just to let you know, obviously that's not a good thing. And, uh, and then if it happens a second time, we hear a pattern, then we'll have to, you know, obviously talk to them and say, listen, this is the third, second or third time we've heard a client say that you were, you know, um, kind of doing other stuff while you were supposed to be helping them. And obviously we can't have that. So we'll have to like take you off the system. The idea, and, and I think that adds more value because when we, so when we have an expert on, we're basically saying every one of these people are completely vetted and top notch. We, we stand behind every one of them. There's mm-hmm. no like, well, this person's three stars and this person's four stars. And you have to go through and read the comments and decide if you think they're good. It's like, no, we've already done that work for you. <laughs> this person well, is fantastic. it doesn't go hand in hand with the Tiffany's uh, kind of concept anyway. I mean, Tiffany's is just assumed that everything's the best. So Yeah, so that's, we're, that's we're, you know, we're, we're going a little different. And I, I think in the end, um, you know, and then if people are bad, we just take them off, you know, and then and that'll just limit, you know, you know, poor customer experiences. And, and then, you know, people up there who who we stand behind are top notch. And that's what we only bring on people who we think are, are, are going to deliver that kind of value. And then you can charge that kind of fee and, and everything. So listen to this yeah. review of um, Steve Jobs autobiography on Amazon. You know, you know, his, his, um, yeah, in fact, autobi- I have it sitting on my, at my, uh, uh, nightstand. It's my next book. Uh, I think. Okay. So, uh, E Miller, right. Uh, interview, uh, reviews the book on Amazon. He says, this is his review. Apple sucks. Steve Jobs just took out-of-date technology, put it in a white case, and then suddenly it became cool and mainstream. They also charged ridiculous prices for things. That's it? That's the review of the autobiography of Steve Jobs. I probably didn't read it. Probably didn't read it. <laughs> it's completely irrelevant. Uh, that's... You know, you can't review. St- <laughs> like, what is, he, what is he trying to review? <laughs> I guarantee, yeah, I think I guarantee the guy didn't read it. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't read the they didn't read the book, and that and that happens a lot of times too. I think a lot of these reviews are. I think anytime people can stand behind, it can be anonymous. Then you're going to get that kind of nastiness, and uh, you know, even worse, three out of sixty three people found this review helpful. <laughs> oh my god, it's stupid. Well, it's just people like yeah, I agree, I hate Apple. Yeah, or I agree, I hate Microsoft. Or I agree. I mean, you know. Not that you can't hate Apple, hate Microsoft, but that's not a review, right? <laughs> it's just yeah. an emotional reaction. You see that on uh, you see that on Hacker News. People are downvoting comments not because they're not um, good comments in the sense that they're on topic, they're they're articulate, and they are adding to information to the discussion, but they just disagree with the perspective, so they downvote it. Which isn't what downvotes on Hacker News is supposed to be. Downvotes are mean like this is you're essentially flagging this as inappropriate or spam or you know or argumentative without being informational, that kind of thing. Okay, this is this is this is good. This is quite insightful. Um, this is another review on Amazon. 
Colby shrimp flavored chips, a four ounce bags. So someone does a review, basically says, these are disgusting. They taste so salty and fishy. Yuck. I'd return them if I could. Right. <laughs> Which is exactly what they are. Right. S- salty, fishy flavored chips. What the hell do they expect? <laughs> yeah. And see, I think all that stuff kind of just confuses the issue. I mean, I think, I think when, I mean, the whole idea of democratizing feedback and reviews is interesting, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm very um, sort of skeptical on their value add nowadays. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's a part of me that likes the idea that you can get a broad range of perspectives, but you also get a lot of crap in there. And sometimes that crap can just really detract from the whole experience and, and your confidence that this is something you should be, um, you know, you know, this is something you should be, you know, purchasing or using or whatever. I mean, I, I know sometimes you just get one really nasty, you know, or really negative review and you're like, huh, what if this person is right? Well, you don't know that person could be off their rocker. They could be a competitor. Well, that's, oh, that's, that, that, is, that is a problem. And that's one of the things that she makes, you know, one of the points that she makes at the beginning of the post is that it's, it's often the squeaky wheel that gets the grease, but that's probably not very good, you know, because all your, all your customers who are really happy just aren't saying anything to you. They're just really happy. Yeah. They're like, you're fine with it. Well, I, and I, I noticed that affects, affects us we've talked about in the comments you know it's like you know 95 percent of our comments are very positive and uh if they're and, and or and you know every once in a while we get something that's kind of negative and you're just like but it affects you you're just like damn you know yeah. and uh and then sometimes what it'll do is it'll drive the other people to come out and say hey don't listen to that crap <laughs> you know? yeah. but it still affects you right and uh it still kind of detracts from the whole experience it's the kind of thing like you get enough of those you're just like ah man i don't even want to do this this is just you see why you can you understand why joel spolsky just decided to stop blogging because it's just too yeah too much it's just it's just too the negative feedback is uh feels worse than the positive than the even if the overwhelming is positive the the negative just outweighs it so much and it reminds me of that in trading they used to say you know there's this sort of psychological result which is that the the experience of a loss of let's say you know a hundred dollars is twice as painful as uh is the positive feeling you get from a, uh, making a hundred dollars so even if you were winning you know sixty or seventy percent of the time you're still going to be operating at a psychological deficit because every time you lose money you're going to feel really bad and it's just going to be you know you need twice as many wins or over twice as many wins to to be operating a psychological um, uh, uh, you know advantage and I, I think for you know and that's just for making and losing money and I think when you talk about like criticism and versus positive feedback, I think it's like five to one or ten to one I think if you've got a nasty comment. If every one, every five, you'd just be like, screw it. <laughs> so um, have you got any stories that, uh, I mean, you said you'd done a little bit of research before the show. You got anything you want to bring up? Let's see. What do we got here? Um, oh, uh, Helmut is back. Oh, yeah. Helmut uh, sent us an email. Um, he heard us talking about the, uh, the, non, the NDA, the sort of digital document signing thing that you're going to build. Mm-hmm. Right, that we've been talking about, and he had built a somewhere like a kind of a mini demo because he had he had um, created something that generated PDFs, and he had done something where you could kind of draw a signature, so he kind of put them together and did a little sample of how you could just kind of type, you know, draw your signature with your mouse, and then it would create an image of it and put it on a PDF. Which yeah, I was, that was cool. That was pretty cool. So I, I appreciated that. Um, it was cool to see him back. So <laughs> what was funny is he said that because Helmet had 
agree. He had sort of offered to help you out, and he did some coding for you and plug you back a little over your well, he, he never really did any coding, but he he'd kind of offered to do it to help me a little bit. Yeah, but we didn't do anything. I thought he helped a little he did, bit. I, I did a little bit. Yeah, I did something. I think, but I but it was it took quite a long time to come back to me. And by the time he he came back to me, I'd already done it. I see. I see. Yeah. So um, he had kind of, and he. I guess he said he. Reason he was in the comments is he felt really bad about that because um, <laughs> he got really busy with work. Oh, he and, totally didn't need to feel bad about that. Yeah, and and um, and that's that was sort of went to prove my point a little bit about like favors don't scale. Like your heart can be in the right place, and you want to help people, or you have some time to help them a little bit, but then over time, you, other things come up that take priority, and. Um, that's, but if you're paying somebody, then it compensates for that and they're continually motivated. And, um, you know, it's, it's not that you don't want to help friends out. I mean, I help friends out all the time. I, you know, I, I do, I do a lot of stuff, help people get jobs and I help them edit stuff and I do whatever, but you know, those are usually one-off things, you know, you do help them once or twice, you know, um, or at least on a given sort of favor. But when it's something that's ongoing, it, it usually tends to fade pretty quickly. Um, and uh, I thought that was an example. It's like, you know, he, he has other things going on. He had, he's probably, has, you know, he has a job and other stuff. And it's like he, he probably, he wanted to help you. He had some time, felt like he could. He started to, but then other stuff came up. And then he ends up feeling really guilty. And then he ends up feeling bad. And then there ends up being like you guys in a, he, he, he disappears from the comments. Mm-hmm. Right? Because he feels bad. Um, and it's because of that, that structure of that whole, you know, favor situation which just you know favors work and small favors but big favors you know are usually something you do one off and usually for people who are you know more close personal friends or something yeah um and actually uh, talking about um you you were just talking about there about uh, helping people and you remember you helped someone um write for hacker news um mm-hmm. and there, there's been a few instances where hacker news stuff that we or people we know have been submitted and they've just They've started doing really well. They're going up Hacker News, and then all of a sudden, bam, they go down, right? So the Hacker News slap, I think we called it. Um, I don't know whether you noticed this, but um, how many points do you have on Hacker News at this stage? Are you, are you over 2,000? I'm really close, I think. But I, because I I've just noticed this thing. That's I, turning, I have, have 1,980. Because I think when you get 2,000, what happens is you get a flag. You get like a new link that says flag this item. Mm. And that is the Hacker News slap. So it's not, it's not just alumni or someone in Hacker News. It's that hundreds of people have this capability of flagging posts. Mm. So, so that, how, many, how, many, how many points do you have? Um, let me just see. 2,230. Okay, so you just crossed that threshold, so you now have the slap. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, and you I, have the bitch slap? I, I, have, I have the capability of doing it, but I mean, <laughs> that, I have seen no reason to do it. But I'm just guessing that a lot of people have this and, um, you know, people are very, remember that one time when I, I had posted that thing, um, multidimensional, uh, pricing plans. And honestly it was doing really well and it should have, you know, in theory gone to the front page of Hacker News, but I guess because I, I asked for people to vote it, that goes against the ethos of Hacker News. So obviously it got slapped down before that, but I, I'm guessing that it's just because so many people have this capability that it happens a lot. Yeah, well, you know, as they say, is uh, all men are created equal, but some are a little more equal than others. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's not hacker news. There's definitely some power players there again. Because I, I, yeah, I had one yeah. post I had written. Um, the, one, the one time it happened to me, I noticed, was the one, the, the article I wrote uh, entitled, Why I Quit Algorithmic Trading to Do Web Startups. 
And it was taken off. I didn't ask. I don't think I asked anyone to vote for it. Um, mm-hmm. If I did, maybe one person. It wasn't like I got together a voting team or anything. I just might have said, hey, you know, check out, check this out. Because I'm aware of that now, right? It's just too yeah. dangerous of a game. You don't want to do it. Um, and it had like, I don't know what it was. It was like, I, don't, I can't remember how many points it had, but I felt like it had some good juice. It was 20, 30 points or 40. It was up to like, or even more, maybe it was like 40, 50 points. And it was up at like number seven and then disappeared. Mm-hmm. I was what the hell was that about? And I'm pretty sure that one of the other the experts who don't, they don't like uh, trading stuff. Because there's definitely a big contingent on there that likes, that, that finds high, algorithmic trading and high-frequency trading and all that kind of stuff to be very much within the hacker news um, uh, uh, sphere of, of interest, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a related topic. There's a lot of people are interested in that. Um, and it is very much about, writing code and, and solving hard problems. But I think there's also a certain number of people who don't like the trading world. They don't like trading. They think that they think that too many intelligent people have been siphoned off into the zero sum game uh, as opposed to like creating some kind of value through say building, you know, web web stuff or mobile stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I think as one of those people who are just like, ah, this is like, you know, this you know, effing not trading stuff and boom, you know, because I've seen that happen to some other trading, trading related stuff. Um, and I just think that people, just like the people who vote, uh, who downvote comments because they just disagree. I think they're just people who have like their, it's like your pet peeve. Like they just hate this, this category of post. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that you got the slap. You got the, you got the power of the slap. But you, you would think that they would get kind of voted like that, that would harm them in some way. You know, like if, if you give a flag, if you flag someone, it should affect your karma. No, it's a cost. Like you lose points for every. Yeah, slap. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think if you're going to, because in real life, like, you know, if you slap someone down, you know, you did it once. People say, OK, well, you know, like, let's say a bunch of us are at some kind of social gathering and, and somebody says some stuff that you find offensive or whatever. And you go off and you kind of like take them to task. Right. We might be like, we might kind of agree with this. Like, oh, yeah, okay. I guess it's good that Justin said that to him because the guy was kind of, you know, out of line or that was kind of, you know, uncomfortable what he was saying. But if like you started doing it a lot, we'd be like, dude, Justin, you need to dial it down. Right? Yeah. Your whole like vigilanteism, you know, every time we go and like telling people off, I mean, we'd also, you would take a, you take a hit. We'd be like, Justin's just prickly and self-righteous and just kind of annoying, you know? I mean, yeah, he's right sometimes, but it's just... Yeah, you know, it's just too much. So, and that's Thanks. what happens in real life. No, yeah. I mean, this is the imagination. I know, I know, I know. I know. Just real Justin. This is another guy named Justin. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah they're right. They, should, they shouldn't incur a slap, but I, uh, 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 um, a cost. I don't, but of course, I, I, I don't know if that moderation stuff is built into the source. The, I know that this source code for Y Combinator, for Hacker News is available, but I don't know if it includes all of the moderation algorithms. Um, so you posted your um your pictures of the, your uh, of your place. I did, I did my place in Savannah. Yeah, yeah. If you if you and if you want to go there, go to Texting Live JV's picture story. Texting Live forward slash JV's. Oh, no, actually, let me, let's, just go to the page and on the right there, are like pages. Yeah, go to textinglive.com and on the right, just click on JV's picture story. There you go. because I, I I kept. I watched you on the show and then offline I was kind of like pushing you. Like, no one cares about that. They don't want to see those pictures. I don't know why you kept on pushing me. Well, because 
I, I think when people, we talk about this stuff and people are imagining, I think I don't think people really care, but I think they wouldn't. I think there's a, few, there's, a there's a number of wouldn't mind just clicking on and see like what is this place you're talking about? You know, right? Okay. I don't know. I, I would. I'm curious, but then I'm a <laughs> person. I am. I'm curious about everything, so I always like want to know. Um, so I put up some a couple of pictures of me as well with my new hairdo. <laughs> your uh, what do they call it? your uh, heat miser hair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My Billy Crystal hairdo. <laughs> that's what Ben Boyder says. You look like Billy Crystal. Right. Oh, that's so. good. Um, so what else? I had a couple of things. Oh, you know, one thing, I want to go one more any food topic that, that a couple of people brought up was the idea of, of experts working for charity. Mm. And I, I have the same feeling about that as it about the favor thing is that I like, thought it would that'd be a really good idea to get people who... Uh, who might not be interested in working on any food to work for charity or something like that, or to donate to charity. And my feeling is you see the charity model work every once in a while when you have like celebrity entrepreneurs, people who are already wealthy. So for them charging, you know, you, you know, they sold their company for five or $10 million. So for them charging money per hour to help other entrepreneurs seems a little obscene right? Mm. And they should be giving back. So then it makes sense for them to do it for free or to give it to charity. Right. But most of the experts that I know are not wealthy. They're not close to wealthy. And they're just trying to make a living. And, you know, if you said, and if, the, if you had a bunch of people up there who are doing things for charity, it puts pressure on you to do. So why are you not doing it for charity? So I got to pay yeah. you, but this other person I get to have charity? Well, you're not in the same position. It's like, yeah, okay, so this person has a lot of money. Or this person has a high-paying job, and they get like one session every three months, and sure, they'll do it for charity for the hell of it, right? But it's like me, I try and do like five sessions a week. I need to make a living, right? I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, pay off some credit card debt and, and uh, you know, pay for my kid's private school or, you know, pay the car, whatever the hell it is, right? And so it puts pressure on them to... To, to, to do for charity and, and it makes them uncomfortable and it's, it's kind of a thing and it's like if you and my feeling is that since if, if people want to give for charity they give to charity on their own they don't have to you know do but it also them. confuses the issue i mean we were speaking about this and what this is a uh, you know something that i think we both really believe in now is that the simpler and clearer your product is the better right so it's just really simple it just is a screen sharing session it's about help and advice this isn't a thing where you're going to actually do work for someone. It's just help and advice. And, but, you know, throwing charity into the mix is essentially going to confuse it. We've, we've seen the products that, that are just simple. I mean, Buffer App, for example, if you look at Buffer App compared to Plugio, Buffer App's a very, very simple concept. And it's been much more successful than Plugio because it's just so simple. That's, that's kind of what we're thinking, right? That's right. And I think Lance wrote a comment emphasizing that, how, you know, simple messages are interesting, they're easy for people to understand, they're easy for people to explain, and to other people, um, they're more exciting. It's complicated messages, like, well, okay, so you can do this, and you can do projects, and then we have higher paid people, we have lower paid people, and it's like, I, you know, it's like, okay, well, what is this thing again? Is, are you charity? And then we have kind of like, you know, the open source people do this, it's just, it's too much. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's just not focused, and it's not going to work. And, and, and so, and so, you know, the charity model is, might sound really make everybody feel good and all, but it's not going to work and no one's going to make any money. So nobody's going to get charity anyway. So just, you know, but you know, if people want to give money to charity, they can charge, you know, however they want and they can turn around and donate all charity. And that's sort of their, their, that's their business, right? They don't need to as, as is often true about simple, it's difficult to build. It's difficult to make, it's difficult to release. And it's kind of ironic, but that's what Apple shows. I mean, to get something to get something as simple as an iPhone, simple as the Mac OS X, you've got to do 
a hell of a lot of backend engineering, even for the stuff that we've done. Um, I mean, the, the scheduler and all the stuff that we've, you know, the little widgets that we've done, they, they feel extremely simple to use, but they are, you know, pretty difficult to make and build on the backend. That's right. Well, that's absolutely right. But the other thing too is, um, you know, another example of it is the NDA. So the fact that we're not going to use the API and bump you off the site if you need to sign a custom NDA, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to make that on the site and it's going to seem really simple and easy, but it's like, okay, well, we had to build our own component to do that, right? <laughs> so but that's going to seem very thing. simple because you just, you're just going to click upload and job done. Yeah. You know? So, but yeah, that takes work. Simple takes work. But the other thing is from the business side is that you have to say no, right? And anytime you say no, it makes you, you're like the bad guy, right? Well, can we do it this way? No. Can we do that? No. You know, and it's like you have to fight against all of these things that seem like they might be a good idea. They seem related. They seem like there's certain, you know, certain sort of uh, uh, neighboring demographic that are neighboring market that you could hit. And I think those things are all like tempting, but they're usually bad news. Well, that's the biggest frustration for me because what I would have loved is a service where I can go and hire a, to a really good Unix guy. I can get that guy for a couple of hundred an hour and he can just work on my server for half an hour or an hour and just, I don't, rather than go through Odesk and hire guys for like 30 bucks or 40 bucks, I can just spend 200 and get, he's going to be so happy to do that. But we said that we, we don't want to do that through any food because it's just about screen sharing sessions. It's not about actually doing the work, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, you could obviously do a screen share and say, hey, I'll work with you and they're, they're, you guys are talking through it and stuff. I mean, but yeah, but once you start getting into like related things, it's not that they don't have value, but you're, conf you're making the thing more complicated. You're just complicating mm -hmm. things. And even if like there's a feature that you want, you have to decide is like, well, this is going to incur a messaging and uh, a cost. It's going to make things more complicated. People aren't going to necessarily understand what Anyfoo is and what it's for. And the fact that we're doing something that's a little different than what has been done before, meaning means is that much more important that we keep the message really simple so that people can understand what the hell it is that we're talking about. Hmm. Right. I mean, if, if we were just yet another, like, Elance or Odes, and people are like, oh, we're like Odes, but we're, like, cooler. People are like, okay, mm. I get it, right? You know, we're like, well, we're not. So, okay, well, if you're not, then what are you? Well, we're this, but we're also kind of this other thing, but you could do charity, but you could do projects, and then we have kind of a farm league, and then you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, like, I, I guess, okay, I guess, you know, it's just, like, it's just too much. And, um, you know, I think what you can do sometimes is that when we become a successful company, two, three, four years you in. You can then branch out. Yeah. You can branch out, but you still got to be careful because you see that over and over again. People love simple products and then the companies want to grow and they, and they, so they hit these neighboring markets and the product, and the product becomes this unusable mess. And, um, and then everyone starts to not really care about it anymore because it's, it's it, 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 you know, because when you, in uh, 37 signals says this all the time. And, uh, uh, Kathy Sierra, I think is big on this messaging and simplicity. It's like, you're going to alienate a certain number of people because you're going to say no to certain things. You're going to shut the door. We're not doing that. And some people are going to get offended and upset and frustrated. But that's fine. That means you're doing the right thing because if you're, if you're trying to please everybody, you're pleasing nobody. Yeah, nothing. So do you have anything, any stories that are non-anyfoo related to bring up on this show? Mm, yeah, let's see here. Oh, I just saw Node Time, a new uh, uh, profiler came out for Node, a real profiler. <laughs> right, okay. So, well, as opposed to your one that you made that's not a real profiler. Well, it... 
It's it's um it's pro it's written in JavaScript. I think it's Node Profiler is probably written some, written in C or C plus plus, and I think okay. it it it, it kind of ties into the engine itself and to real low level. So mm-hmm. um like I/O stuff and and everything. So um you know the profile that I built along with Guy on Guy and I built it together. Um and it re- proved hugely beneficial for Uber because we were trying to figure out how to get like where where are the performance bottlenecks with the dispatch server which is sort of the the central brain of the of the real time system and i think it i think after the using that we made a few changes that we wouldn't have been able to do hey we didn't have the profile we wouldn't have discovered this but we discovered essentially t- almost doubled its performance it went from like a single percentage of cpu corresponded to about 6 um drivers and then it went up to like 11. It could handle like 11 or 12 drivers on one percentage of CPU. Hmm. So it was a huge payoff. I mean, it was worth building. And, you know, it's not like we spent that much time on it. It was, a, you know, a couple of days of work or whatever and some screwing around with it. But uh, in the end of the day, you know, obviously it'd be nice to have some kind of like industrial strength, low level, built to the engine profiler, you know. Actually, talking about uh, uh, nice libraries, um, I found a great one the other day called PhantomJS, which is uh, phantomjs.org. And basically is it's a full web stack uh, with no browser required. So what you can do is you just run it on the command line. Basically, it works in the same way that node.js works in the sense that you write JavaScript scripts to control this thing. Um, but it will go and pull down web pages and uh, you can output them to PDF or PNG or JPEG. And it does a fantastic job of it. It's really good. And because most, because pretty much every other every other system either doesn't render very well or it uses some kind of GUI, right? Whereas this mm-hmm. is just completely headless. It doesn't, ha- doesn't have any GUI involved. Uh, so it's just, well, the way that they do it is they do uh, like a WebKit. They, they compile WebKit into their, their wrapper. So it's mm-hmm. very nice. So PhantomJS, cool. recommended. That, do we get an uh, affiliate fee for that? No, I don't think it, <laughs> don't think it costs anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, I saw this one thing um, on, on startups called "Fall in Love with Your Business, Not Your Business Plan." That's kind of interesting because I, 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 I tried to write a business plan one time, and it was the most excruciatingly boring, wasted effort of my life. Right, and uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, I think the concept of people spending a lot of time in a business plan is falling kind of out of favor, unless you're trying to do something that you can't start small. I mean, there's certain types of companies that are that have to. You, you, it's not like, a, like if you're building web and mobile stuff or whatever, things that you can kind of get something up simple, you don't have to do that. Um, I mean, other kind of companies I can imagine, you might need to raise a lot of capital before you can do anything. Um, but it was, it was sort of funny. I, I, it's written by what, uh, uh, Dharma Shah, is that his, I think that's the name, guys, on startups. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a couple of his points where he says, business plans are energy depleting exercises. And I was like, man, that was exactly how I felt. It just like sucked the life out of me. Cause you feel like you're not, you're, you're putting all this energy in this, in, into this thing. You're making no progress on actually building anything. And you know, you got is this document and it's and and, and the process is, is not fun at all. Mm-hmm. And he says, I won't go through all of them because um, and the thing is like business plans are kind of like, it's kind of follows the waterfall method as opposed to like a more agile method, right? You're, you're spending all this time up front designing, this is what the business is going to be. And, uh, you, but really you don't know less about your business than at that point in time. 
Yeah. You haven't, you really haven't, you know, you, you just, you really haven't built anything. You really haven't learned anything. I mean, maybe you've done some pre-interviews with some people and done some market research, but you know, you write this really comprehensive document. Now, I mean, I could see someone says, Hey, I want to write like a two or three page thing, just kind of summarizing some of my ideas and my assumptions and stuff. I think that's okay. But you know, these, these, these sprawling 50 page documents of like projected earnings and projected cash flows and you know, the deep marketing, you know, research and competitive analysis and all that stuff is just, uh, you know, well, a better, uh, something better to do is to uh, go to leancanvas.com and uh, create your lean canvas. Have you seen that? No. What is that? Just type in leancanvas.com. I'll, I'll ping you the link. Basically, it's, uh, it's the, I guess, the lean startup version of a business plan. It's like one page. Okay. Yeah, that sounds more, that sounds more like it. Yeah. So you've, you have one page and you just split it into, um, split it into what is it, like nine different areas. Um, we talked about this before, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, so you just you have you have a like a, a, the problem. So you say what you think the problem is in a couple of lines. The solution, you say what the solution is in a couple of lines. Um, your unique value proposition, um, your unfair advantage, the channels that you're going to get it out, and um, some customer segments. Right. Yeah, right. It's a nice it's a nice way just to give you like an over you know an an outline of what you think your business is. Doesn't. Obviously, it's not going to take you hours and hours to write that. You can get that done in like 15 minutes. Have you ever and tried then, to write a business plan? And then start working on the... Oh, yeah, have I? Yeah. For, for, the, for the web, I, in, back in 2000, I, st- I um, tried to get funding for a business called All Channels. I'm sure I've mentioned that to you before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So All Channels, basically, my idea was to have a human-powered search engine. And every, every search to build a community around the search which seems, seems a bit silly, but it's a bit like about.com or something like that. And so I wrote a 60-page business plan. Good grief. Oh, yeah. I spent, I spent I'm, I'm not kidding, I spent six months writing the business plan. Oh, man. Yeah, well. Re- researching and just looking at it. In re- and, and this, in part, is the reason why I hate the whole funding route so much. <laughs> because, oh, because it was just, yeah, go on. Because it's the expectation is that you have a business plan. At least back in the back in the day, <laughs> you know, you didn't go in and have a have a meeting with a VC firm or anyone like that unless you had a business plan already written, right? They needed financials in place. You know, they they wouldn't even talk to you unless you had financials, unless you had a marketing, you know, a, a whole marketing strategy. But now these days, it's it's different. It's more like you need to have traction. You need to have eyeballs. You need, it's it's more like the indie music business these days, right? So, um, or let's just say the record business. So with the record business, you're probably not going to get signed unless you're already doing something and you've got some kind of following and you've, you've proven yourself. It's pretty much what you need to do with startups these days. Right, right. Um, so you want to hear the... Uh, well, actually, I want to ask a question about that. So this is back when you were in uh, England, right, or Ireland? Uh, Ireland at the time, yeah. And so you were approaching investment firms from Ireland? Um, well, I, I told you, I, I, was, I, was, I somehow managed to end up in business with Yuri Geller. Okay. Uh, you don't know who Yuri Geller is, but he of course I is. Do. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. Okay, how, right, how so. would I, why would I not know who Yuri Geller is? <laughs> Oftentimes, I bring up. He's the guy who these... bends spoons. He bends yeah, spoons. exactly. Yeah. So, supposedly, bends spoons with his mind. Okay. And he, you know, he said that he could just get me in touch with uh, some really high level people who could invest money. So, uh, I got like £40,000 um, seed money, which I lived off for a year. From who? From. from well, not from Yuri Geller, but from a few people that he put me in touch with. So there was a firm of solicitors and there was some other businessmen. Mm-hmm. And basically, um, I don't want to go into names, but I got this 40,000 seed seed funding. And I pretty much lived off it for a year and put together 
the business plan and put together the potential team. And the team I had was just really high level people. It was a great team. Um, the, the CEO of the company was going to be a guy called uh, Philip Flynn, who at the time uh, was the European CEO of uh, Vizio, which had just sold to Microsoft for 1.5 billion. Mm-hmm. So he was looking for a new, a new project to do. And he was basically working with me, helping me put this together. And so, you know, we put it together and we went to pitch it to a, a few VCs. Um, but it was just at the time that the bubble went down. Um, but I remember going into the VCs and basically we said, look, this, this thing, the way it's going to make money is through advertising, you know? And they just didn't believe it. They were like, you'll never make money through advertising. You'll never make money through banner ads on the internet. Uh, <laughs> right. Just like that's to, that revenue model just doesn't convince us. So... Yeah, then, well, you know, because yeah. it had failed, the banner ad thing had failed so spectacularly yeah. just mm-hmm. then. So, right, that, that was the conventional wisdom. Um, how, so, no, did, go on. Well, just, so, yeah, so, you know, just when we started pitching was when Boo.com happened. Oh, right. That, that was, they was the big clothing seller. And yeah. they, they really high-end, fancy stuff. And they just, they raised some obscene amount of money. Was that $50 million or $100 million or something? Mm-hmm. They blew through all of it and they had nothing. But they, they, you know, they, they, they liked things like that because they had real revenue. You know, they like, look, you're really selling products. There's real revenue. Whereas this whole advertising thing, you'll never make any money on that. And, and all channels was essentially what Mahalo was trying to do at first, right? Yes, yes, and no. So Mahalo was very curated and edited by that by the central company. The idea that I had for all channels was that when someone typed in a search, it would like give birth to this embryonic place that then would be available for people to turn into a community. Right. Right. So it, would, it was much more of an automated. So it, it, it wasn't so curated. It was more automated. Ult- ultimately, in time, I think it would have had to become curated. Mm-hmm. You, know, you would have probably picked the best channels and kind of guide them and nurture them. I see. Right. So, so after, now how, did, did Yuri Geller have an interest in the company or what was his relation, what was your relation with him? Yeah, he did. He he basically um, through through because I'm I just met him like it was like an elevator pitch kind of scenario where I I just happened to be I don't know I have to speak to him somewhere and um, just some random meeting and he, somehow this the subject came around to what do you do and I said oh I, you know I work in the internet and he said oh do you have any business ideas and I told him about this idea and he said well I may be able to put you in touch with some investors so then we spoke and then he wanted <laughs> he wanted twenty five percent of the company and I, I you know me being young and naive I gladly yeah sure have twenty five percent. So, uh, so he got 20 so he there's 25 percent gone before we start talking to anyone <laughs> yeah it sounds like uh you well you know um yeah i guess you'd not understand how negotiation works Some, when someone throws out a number that's just because that's not the number they expect that's just what they're going to use as an anchor you know he probably been happy well, with 10. Well, listen you know prior to prior to texting i i knew nothing i mean i, I have to be honest about that like i didn't i i i knew a lot about I guess the conventional world, mm-hmm. but since since we started doing this show and started talking to people who are on the ground, boots on the ground, doing the real work, building real businesses, uh, you know, it's been a revelation for me since the show started. Huh. Like we we weren't even talking about things like bootstrapping when the show first started. The very first thing when I built Plugio, um, we were just talking about scratch your own itch. That was the wisdom at the time. That was, that was as far as we kind of mentioned well, anything you were, like that. You were trying to build MASH API, which means you were trying exactly. to raise I was, money. I was, I was, I was, I was continu- you know, 
on the same old, same old path of trying to raise money. I got, I got a bit better at it. This time around, I was working with um, basically some, some guys from Stanford who already had been involved in a lot of very successful deals. So I think that the, the quality of the presentation, the quality of the business plan, it was a much smaller business plan. Um, we were better at selling the concept. But basically the concept was, and we've discussed this offline, the concept of all channels was Pars.com, very similar to Pars, but without being refined to just the mobile space. But I'm sure that it would have got there given some time. You know, it wouldn't have taken too long to just whittle it down to that. But, um, you know, we, we couldn't... That, when was that? That was, what, back in 2003, was it? 2004? Well, it was back... Where, where, did we, where, where did we start doing texting? Dude, it's 2012. We've been doing the show two and a half years. Okay, <laughs> okay sorry, 2000. <laughs> yeah. 2010. Track time. It was 2010, uh, yeah. 2000, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, so that was back then. And, um, you know, we, we spoke to some pretty good vc firms um some you know the, the key names and they just didn't they didn't see the vision of something like a pars.com they just didn't see it so that yeah was, well and yeah. the one thing about the pars that i'll say is, is it has an advantage is of uh, the, the one of the things it has going for it's very simple right so like you were talking mm-hmm. about being pre-building a lot of application templates like you know and well, there's well, uh, there's there's sort of like is a you know how like you have like lazy load uh, model for loading yeah. data. You don't load it all beforehand. You'd load it as you need it. Well, there's this like lazy, um, lazy configure, a uh, lazy uh, like a um, lazy schema. So like you know you 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 think of it as like a sort of I, I'm pretty sure they're using MongoDB on the back end. If not, they're using something similar. And you make a call to like save some data. It just if it doesn't have a ta- if it doesn't have some sort of collection or something corresponds, it just creates it. Just in time, so it doesn't have anything pre-allocated, or at least an earlier the version of Pars that I looked at didn't. Um, and so it's very, very simple. So that's one real advantage that it had. I don't think advantage of Mash API, but like a strength that it has. Just like we're talking about buffer it, app, it's very Mash API would have been even simpler because the because the the idea that I was talking about was to create application patterns. So you you know there's just basic application patterns that were fully rounded out. So rather than um, having to just work with a crud system and then you have to build your you know build all the logic there's just some pretty basic application patterns that just you know they're they're the same from one app to the other such as registration uh, you know comments blog or whatever just those simple things so what i was talking about was building i don't know maybe seven of these core uh application patterns like a a blogging system like a tweeting system uh, you know this kind of this kind of system that kind of system and then just uh creating an api so that you know, just you could just start developing in your API as a service, really. Mm-hmm. But then there was also some discussion that actually that you could take that a step further and do something like a like a WordPress uh, open source type of thing where you had an API that was available. So without building any front end whatsoever, you were just building a, a back end of application patterns that could either be a downloadable open source system or you could have like a, a hosted on demand version of it. Yeah. And then that way that designers... And also, mobile app creators could. Uh, but when you were talking about this, was, when you were talking about this, it was pre-mobile stuff. The mobile wasn't really part of the conversation, right? Well, it, the, the mo- mobile was part of the conversation because um, I think that I'd listed um, two major segments. I said that the the one person that the the one market segment that this would be awesome for would be designers, because designers could then start building applications because they didn't need anyone to build a backend. You know, people who would who were very JavaScript rich could start building stuff on this. And then, yeah, I, do, I had mentioned the mobile. mobile Not mobile, designers, but front-end developers. For, yeah, front-end developers, right. But also also designers as well. 
Yeah, well, they still designers would still need some more work because you still have the Ajax stuff. It's making calls. That's true. Right? Yeah. Um, well, I, the other thing about PARS and stuff is they kind of caught the wave at the right time, right? The mobile it, wave, exactly. And it's you know, you, you got to have the right idea at the right time with the right people. <laughs> right execution. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, interesting. That's interesting about. Uh, that's interesting about Yuri Geller, huh? I don't, whatever happened to those guys you're working with? Um, well, one of, one of the one of them's my very good friend called uh, Oliver Vickers Harris, who's uh, who's obviously still my good friend and who I've known since uh, I guess we were like thirteen. <laughs> Oliver Vickers uh, Harris. That sounds like a very English yeah. name. Yeah, he's he's a very English guy um, <laughs> with a very English name. He's you know he's a very good friend. Um, so he's he's always worked in what what he's always worked in is um, the museum space. Mm-hmm. So he's he's basically a specialist in digitizing museum collections, getting them online, making, making museum collections accessible via the digital medium. Right. And he's done it for, he's, he put, well, he was very, you know, very involved in putting the Tate. Have you ever heard of Tate? The Tate Museum in London? No. Okay. So Tate's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty brick museum anyway. So he, he pretty much put them online and was very, very um, involved in that. And uh, so from, from his perspective, the all channels thing was kind of an interesting idea because it was this big curation thing. You know, you had to curate it and nurture it as well as allow it to just, so there was like this automated component and there was also this curation component. I thought, I didn't know. I thought you were just working with the one business guy who was up in uh, Silicon Valley area. Oh no, that, that's all channels I'm talking about. Now. Yeah. And I'm talking about Mash API. Oh, so no, no, Mash API, Mash API. No, I'm not really in touch with those guys so much anymore because, you know, they're, they're, they're like, it's business time. Let's get business done kind of guys. Right. So it was not so much like a kind of a friendship style thing. It was more like, okay, we're, we're working together on this business project that we're going to make happen. So we, you know, we, we put a lot of time and effort into it and we built the business plan and we showed it to VCs and it didn't go anywhere. So we all decided to part ways. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So where are we? How much time have we been on? What's the... Looking about 140, 135. All right. Well, I think it's probably about time shut it down unless you got anything else you want to talk about. I don't have uh, any huge topics really. So, Well, I'll just end by saying that uh, texting has been an, an awesome journey for me. And, the, you know, I think that what I know now is so much better than what I knew then. So anyway, I'm just really grateful for all the people that we've spoken to and all the advice that we've got from listeners. So yeah, yeah. I can't. We've done what 178 shows. That's a lot. It's sort of surreal. I mean, yeah, it's 100. That's a lot of <laughs> a lot of shows. You could listen to us for 11 days straight. Is that right? You said if you live for 24 hours a day for 11 days straight. Is that the <laughs> yeah, number came to. I think so. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Speaking of calculations, I'll leave this one last thing. I was I was um, having a dinner the other night at this. Uh, at this uh, pizza restaurant. Um, Sandy took the kids to visit her parents for a few days and I stayed, stayed back here just to get a lot of work done. Yeah. So I went and grabbed the, the, this uh, pizza restaurant and I'm sitting at the corner and it's the one, it's the one like Pasadena that has uh, like an automatic, um, like a ticketing system. So if it sees you like running a red light, it will flash and take a photo of your car and your license plate and then Send yeah. you a bill, and the bill is for the ticket is four hundred and forty six dollars. Whoa, Isn't that amazing! And I, uh, I so I asked the waitress. I said, 
how many times is that like? Because it flashed a couple times while I was eating. Like, I was seeing a sudden flash of light. And uh, <laughs> I was like, whoa, what is that? I'm like, oh, right, that's a light. And I got caught by that once like five or six years ago. And, um, and I had to do like the whole traffic school thing to get it off my record. It was a nightmare. I did the online version, but it was just a huge waste of time. And um, <laughs> I was, yeah, it's just brutal. You know, you get this envelope like, oh, you, here's 400 for $500 ticket. And, you know, here's traffic school that you got to do now. And I, so I, uh, um, anyway, so I'm talking to the waitress and I said, well, what, how often does that go? She's like, I don't know. She's like about once every, you know, 15 minutes, I think she said. And I was wow, like, yeah. That's and, a lot of money. And I was like, so I was doing some loose calculations back of the envelope, but they could be wrong. So I don't know. Um, if anyone's interested, probably double check. But I was like, you know, I was like, let's say you, you know, you really, you know, that only really occurs from say like nine, eight in the morning to like, you know, 11 at night or something, 12 at night. Cause after there's not that much traffic and you, you figure out how many tickets you are per day, four per hour, X many hours a day per year. And I was estimating that's probably something like eight to $10 million that thing wow. generates per year. Isn't that, is that a, let me actually, I'll do the calculation right now. So let's say, so nine to uh, 12, let's do for some, so that's 15 hours, right? 15 times four is 60, right? So that times mm-hmm. 365, $9,767,400. Well, we're in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> like, we need to set up, you know, and I, cause I asked, she said, you only need one. You just need one lamppost with a camera. Yeah. Well, it was, or like, there's a couple cameras. So that's what I asked her. I go, well, because first thing I asked her, I said, well, how often, how often does it go? I'm like, man, that is, a, that's a, that is a racket. And she's like, yeah, I heard that it, it's actually a money loser, that you know, amount of me, that the, the complaint is the amount that it takes to run it is more than they make. No way. And I was like, well, okay, let's do a little back of the envelope thing. So I start going through it, and I estimated somewhere in the 8 to $10 million range. And I'm like, it does not cost 8 to $10 million to keep that damn camera and a couple of flashes go off. And she's like, yeah, there's some company in Arizona that, runs it. I'm like, it probably costs them maybe, you know, 20 grand a month if they have to like, you know, operate it and they have to pay someone to come out every once in a while to, you know, update a chip or a battery or whatever. And that's a, you know, a lot. And even if, even if it's like, you know, this company makes 20% of the profit and 80% goes to the the city, I mean, you're still talking seven, eight million dollars profit (laughs) a year. And I like, you know, and I, that's one of the dangerous things when you like you like get, you privatize certain things like that because a company like that's going to be pushing cities to put these things up, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll do all this stuff and we'll do it, and you can make all this money. And so then these 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 cities are kind of preying on people. She said, you know, you see a lot of accidents because of it because everyone's so worried about getting caught that it's a yellow light and people just put on their brakes and they get rear-ended, and she sees a lot of accidents. Because people are kind of afraid. I try and avoid. I don't even like to cross that light. Because it's like you, you'll be right behind a car, and that car kind of slows down. You're like, oh crap, go, go, you know. And you got stuck <laughs> in no man's land, and it's like, wow, you know, the light goes off. You're like, damn, you know, it's screwed. So a lot of times, I just like I'm, I just would go a different way because I don't even want to go by it. And I was thinking about like you think from the city's perspective, they're like, I mean, even if a lot of people are complaining about it, they're not going to take it down because that's a huge source of revenue. Let's say it's eight million dollars a year. Be like, oh, hey, let's get rid of this $8 million revenue for our city. No. No. They're not going to do it. And now they probably can't put up too many because then people would really start to get pissed and there'd be a huge uproar if there were like, you know, a dozen of those popped up around the city. And, uh, you know, but um, I sure would be sure it would be a hell of a way to make, you know, you put like a dozen of those up around, you're making you know, $100 million a year off tickets. 
uh, people who, you know, kind of get caught and right, run a red light. And, and, and a lot of running a red light, you see people, it's not that they like went right through a red light and almost hit somebody. It's just like, you know, it was yellow and they kind of caught the tail end of it and got a little bit of the red and boom, they're hit. Well, that's the business player. <laughs> that's another episode of Texting in the can. <laughs> All right. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.